I love organ music. It uh, has such a power to it. Piano's great, piano forte, soft, loud, but that organ and especially get those big pipes, boom, like that, and just make you rumble inside. It is great. And, uh, and John will understand what I'm asking him to do here. John, whenever you can do Toccata and Fugue and B minor by Bach, I'm ready for it, okay? <laughs> I don't know if you know that one. It, uh, it is a tremendous piece by Bach, and uh, uh, it's beyond my imagination. We are in the book of Hebrews. We're, we're going to be studying Hebrews, doing the series. We were in, in it, uh, chapter 1 last week, talking about how Jesus is greater than the angels. Today we're talking about drifting away from God's Word. Let's look in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You follow along. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. And of course, we just did the series on the spiritual gifts, and this is one of the key verses on that. Talking about the importance of heeding what we hear, of applying what we hear, and not drifting away. If you're a young man and you hear the word drifting, this might be what you think about. This is something they do with their cars, and if you'll notice, it's sliding sideways as they go through the curves. That's known as drifting, but that's not the kind of drifting we're talking about. If you go to the speedboat races up in Madison, as they go around these curves at that high rate of speed, they're just skipping along the water. You can see the boats kind of slide sideways. They drift along the top of the water. That's amazing to me how they can even keep them uh, going anywhere uh, because they barely have a rudder in there. But that's not the kind of drifting we're talking about either. We're talking about gradually moving away from what we know to be true and right and following the ways of God. Our, our verse there in the Scripture Paul is talking to the Galatians and he said, what has caused you to, to leave the, the teachings that you had at first? And in the book of Revelation, John talks to the people and he's, he's saying that you've lost your first love. And that's what we're talking about with drifting. We start out with great zeal, hopefully, as we come to know the Lord as our Savior and we want to serve Him fervently and then it just seems as time passes, it becomes a little less important to us. We move away from the things of God. And so the writer here, God is inspired to talk to us about this, this uh, habit we have of drifting away from God. And years ago, I, th I thought of an illustration and I thought, you know, if we start out and we become saved and God's Word is just so preeminent to us 
And then we just have a little sin in our life and we move off that plumb line, that, that perfect place. Uh, and, and we kind of think, well, that's not too bad. I, I, you know, nothing really happened here as I, as I indulge this. And so we move another little step further. And then we move another little step further, gradually getting away from the ways of God. But one of the things we do as a human is I don't judge where I am by the initial starting point there of a relationship with Jesus Christ. What do I gauge it by? My last step. So this step that I took is not very far from that step, so it, it doesn't seem to be much difference. But if I will gauge my life back to this plumb line of what God expects for me, I've drifted a long ways from Him. And so we need to go back to the Word, and that's what we're being encouraged here to do. And he's, he, he starts out uh, referring back to the observance, the belief in the angels. And we talked last week about how powerful the angel words were, are, and they were messengers of God. And he, he reinforces that what they said, God expected us to heed how much more now that He has come speaking through us through the Son, Jesus Christ, are we held accountable. And yet we drift away. And so we're going to look at this drifting away today. And there's three points that we're going to look at. And they're points about the reasons we need to stay steadfast. Instead of drifting away from the ways of God, away from uh, His teachings, we need to stay steadfast. And one of the first reasons we need to do that is that we are kept by the King. Look with me as we continue on in verse 5 where it talks about Jesus. It is not to angels that He, God, subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. It's back in the book of Psalms. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower. Jesus left heaven, became a little lower than the angels, but you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. So Jesus came for a while, took on human flesh and endured that. He left the splendor of heaven as I've referred to that song before. But when he died and rose again, he ascended to heaven and everything was put under his leadership, his dominion, his lordship. In putting everything un under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him, referring to Jesus. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Because he was willing to go to the cross. Because he was willing to die on behalf of our sins. Because he took that abuse upon himself, he is now honored and everything is laid subject under his feet. And we don't see all. We our minds are limited, our understanding is limited, but we don't have to know everything uh, that there is. We don't know, have to know everything Jesus is over. We don't have to understand it deeply. All we have to do 
is keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Focus on Him and trust in Him in our lives. And so we stay steadfast because we have such a great King whom everything is subject to. And so we can stand firm in our faith because it is not based upon our understanding, upon our works, upon what we do or don't do, but upon Jesus Christ. And He is eternal, has always been, always will be. He was involved in creation. Everything was made through Him. He is now Lord over all. And so we can stay steadfast. We can stay sure in our faith because that faith is based in the Lord God, the King of heaven, the King of all creation, and it is to Him that we will stand before on that great day. We are kept by the King, and then we are adopted into the family. In some ways, we all love our children, and sometimes we chose to have our children, Sometimes our children came to us when we weren't expecting them. We love them nonetheless. They're our children. We nurture them. We care for them. In some ways, an adopted child should feel even more special, if you understand where I'm going, because they were specifically chosen by the parents to be grafted into that family. It wasn't through a natural act of husband and, and, and wife. It was a decision on them to give a child a home. And so, yes, the natural born children are very special and very endearing, and we love them. And I was sharing with one of you earlier, no matter that they're in their 40s, nearing 50s, they're still our little girl. They're still our little boy, and it's hard for us to let them be adults because they're that dear to us. But to those who are adopted, they should not feel any less because they have been specifically chosen. And so we were specifically chosen by God to be brought into the family. Paul talks about elsewhere how we as Gentiles... And we were considered barbarians by the Jewish people, um, that we were grafted in to this tree of life of Jesus Christ. God made it possible. He desired for us to be that. We have the Old Testament teaching that He came to the Hebrews, He chose them as His people, He led them through the wilderness, He gave them the Canaan land, all of those things. But in all of that time, God was preparing the way for you and I to be part of that family. He was preparing the way for us to be adopted as sons of the King. And that's what uh, the writer is talking about that right here. As we continue on reading, one of our verses is 2.18, but I'm going to pick it up at verse 10. And bringing many sons to glory... It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. God wanted you to be part of his family. In our natural state, in our natural sin, we were not part of the family. Yes, we were created by God, but our sin nature kept us separated, kept us outside of the family. And it is only when God quickened that spirit within us, when he made himself known to us through various ways, through scripture, through someone preaching, some Sunday school teacher, some family member sharing with us. When God made the way for us to receive the truth and to accept Him as Savior and Lord, that we then became part of the family of God. And in that, we are not called stepbrothers. We are not called stepsisters. We are brothers and sisters of Christ just as we would do an adopted child that we have, is they are the family. Where and how they were previously doesn't matter. They are now a part of us, and our love blankets over them as it does everyone. So we can stay firm and, and not drift away because of that assurance, because of that wonderful knowledge, because of that blessing that we're part of the family of God. Love that song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the Spirit, cleansed by His blood, join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. So you who have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're part of that family. Why would you ever want to leave it? Why would you want to drift from it? Why would you want to be the prodigal child who says, Give me what's due me, and I'm going to go do what I want. Why not be like that prodigal child before he came to the end of himself? Stay within the home. Stay within the house of God. And stay true to the things, understanding that while his ways may seem burdensome to us sometimes, oftentimes, while his ways are challenging and difficult, they are the best. Why do we tell our children to brush their teeth and take a bath at night? They don't want to do it naturally, usually. But we know that if they don't do that, in some years hence, their teeth will be rotten and fall out. They'll be unhealthy slobs. They'll be dirty and smelly. Why do we tell them they got to go to bed at 7 or 8 o'clock and get rest? Because we know they're going to be more healthy and grow better by having the proper amount of rest. Parents, is it easy to make them do that night after night? No. It'd be a lot easier to have them just curl up on the couch, watch TV with us, and drift off whenever they drift off. But for their good, we, we do this discipline upon them because we are helping them grow into capable uh, adults. And so it is. God 
challenges us with his word, with his teachings, with his truth, not because it's easy, but because it is going to make us more effective Christians. It is going to bring us joy. It is going to protect us from bad decisions we may make and give us a better life. Though we can't see it, we trust in the Father. We trust in our Lord and those things. So we are grafted in as children into this family. We are adopted. We were chosen to be a part of that family. And that is one reason we should choose not to drift from the ways of God. Then finally, and I don't know if this is a proper cynic structure. I think I coined a word here maybe. But we are compassioned by Christ, meaning we receive His compassion. One of the wonderful things we have in our Lord and Savior is that He lived once as we live. He was a little baby. He went through the rituals of growing up as a baby. He had to toddle and walk. And while He was a Son of God, while He was perfect, I don't think at two months old, He was up there bebopping. He toddled, he fell, he skinned his knees, mom had to come hug him, hold on to him, daddy had to help him. He was probably working with Joseph in the shop, he probably got a splinter. Joseph had to pull the splinter from his hands. He endured those rites of passage that we endured. As he grew older and he became an adult, he faced the challenges that we face. He got hungry, he got thirsty, he wanted companionship. He grieved when his friend Lazarus died. His heart broke over his people who were not accepting him as Savior. He felt the turmoil and pain that we felt, but he also partied hardy. He went to the wedding of Canaan. He had a good time with people. He enjoyed their company. So we have a Savior who has... Uh, entered into the life that we have and he knows experientially what we go through not just cognitively as a supreme being who knows all things he came down to earth and he went through it the difference is he didn't sin when he did that he stayed perfect and by being that he was able to take our sins upon himself and die on the cross Let's read it, verse 14, to the end of the chapter. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's talking about us, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him, Satan, who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And so we have that blessed compassion of Jesus Christ. Again, that is not just some cognitive thing of a supreme being, but he as a high priest lived life 
that we live. He faced the, he knows personally and experientially. Matter of fact, he has suffered many things that we never have suffered. None of us have had a cat of nine tails taken to our back. None of us have hung on a cross. None of us have faced the abuse and the scourging. None of us have had, uh, I don't think, I hope not, our family stand and say, no, we want Barabbas, crucify this Jesus. But, of course, we have experienced on some level betrayal. We have people that have hurt us, gone behind our back, spoken against us. We experienced that, and so did our Lord and Savior. So when we go to Him in prayer, when we speak to Him about how our heart is aching and breaking and hurting, He knows. He's felt it. He cares about us. He understands that pain. And so we can stay true to Him because, not just out of blind obedience, not because of blind duty, but because He is a Savior that knows what we're going through. It hurts Him. Remember parents, what we tell our kids, this hurts me more than it hurts you? I, I did learn that eventually. It hurts God when we hurt. And he knows that experientially. So we have a Christ that shows compassion on us. He has compassion for us. We don't have to go before him uh, worrying about troubling him with our troubles. He wants to hear them. He wants to know what's on our heart. He wants to be able to console us. Very quickly, I, I may have shared the story with you before of a young of a, not a young man, a man in his 30s who finally found the love of his life, got married. They went to Mississippi to have their honeymoon and they were doing what many of you have done, I'm sure. They were setting cans up on a fence row and shooting them with a rifle. And his, his bride went down. It was her turn to set up the cans. While that was happening, I don't know the whole story, but his gun discharged. Out of all that space up there, the bullet found her. And it took her life by his hands. Can you imagine the grief? On his honeymoon, his wife died accidentally at his hands. I knew him. He, he went to our church and, and we heard his testimony later. And as you could well understand, he sunk into such deep despair and depression over that. And he tells a story when he was able to tell his testimony about how being there in the dark and sitting on his bed and just crying out to God about the pain in his heart. And he said that he just felt God's arms come and envelop him and hold him. Much as us parents would do to our children. We can't make the pain go away. We can't make it never happened, but we can nestle them to our bosom and give them comfort and soothing words. And from that moment, he was able to start reengaging in life. God is a God of compassion. He knows our hurts. He knows our pain. And we can rest in that. So we have 
a king. We're not worshiping a servant, although he served us. We worship a king. He's a brother to us. The psalmist says, there's one that sticketh closer than a brother. That's Jesus. Then finally, he has compassion. This is someone we should want to stay close to. This is someone we should want to trust fully with our lives and to not drift away. And so we looked at how do we derail the drift? How do we keep from drifting? And it takes discipline. It takes work. It takes, uh, it takes living the life. It takes, we talked in Sunday school, it takes walking the walk and talking the talk. We need to stop the drift in our lives. To do that, we must discipline ourselves to refresh our faith by prayer, talking to God, just pouring out our heart in joy and sorrow, sharing with Him, not trying to make it fancy, not trying to win awards because we've used a lot of these thousand thines, but just, Father, I love you. I'm hurting. Whatever's on your heart. He just wants you to talk to Him. So prayer, Bible reading. He has given us His Word given to authors over thousands of years so that we might know the mind of God. There's so much that we don't need and we shouldn't spend time asking Him because it's in His Word. When our children were growing up, they got very frustrated with their mother and I because we were like-minded on about every area in their life. And so they would come to one of us and can I go to the dance this weekend, Dad? No. What'd they do? Run to Mom. Mom said, no. So they learned very quickly that we were of one mind, and they already knew. And Jessica, my daughter, tells, has told me stories of being with her friends and who were trying to get her to do something. And they'd say, well, ask your dad. No, he's going to say no. Well, just, just ask. Maybe he'll change his mind. No, I know he's going to say no. And so when we know God's word, when we read it, when we know what God says and Satan comes or some other temptation comes to us and say, why don't you do this? It's just a little step. It's a pretty apple. Take a bite. You will not surely die. It won't matter. God will forgive. You say, no. The Father says, I'm not to do that and my father loves me as his child he has compassion for me and I know his way is best so we read his word and then finally we apply it to our lives it you know the we're studying in the book of James in Sunday school and James wrote and it's a great hymn I've had you sing it be ye doers of the word and not hearers only it matters Lily, little if we read the Word. And again, as James says, and we think, hmm, I shouldn't do that. And then we walk away and forget what we've read and go on and do it. I've had a little skit I wanted to prepare to do with you all. And uh, I don't know that I'll do it, so I'm going to give you the, the synopsis. I was going to uh, slick my hair back. I was going to put on a, a super cool suit going to set up a mirror over here and I was going to come bopping in. Staying alive, staying alive. 
ooh, ooh, oh man, I'm just so great. Then I come to a mirror and I look at that mirror and say, Wes, look at yourself. You're overweight. You're blah, blah, blah. You're all this. I got I to gotta change all that. Then I turn away. No, man, I'm cool. <laughs> we look in the mirror. We see our flaws, real flaws. We look in God's Word. He illuminates what we need to change in our life. But then we walk away from the mirror and we go on doing what we've been doing. Blessed is he who not only hears, but does the Word of God. And so we can stay steadfast. We can prevent the drift. We can slow the drift. We can return to God through repentance, confession and repentance. When we do drift away, we admit it. We get back to that place. And then we stay in His Word through reading, through talking to Him, through sharing with others, through caring, to forestall that drifting away from Him. And that's what He would have us to do. It starts with the drift. As we continue on in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that if you don't stop the drift, it continues to decline. It's that slippery slope we hear about in politics all the time. It's real in our life. If we don't stop it as soon as we can, we find ourselves taking that next step, the next step, the next step, and before we know it, we're way far from God.